Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Okay, let me get my screen all set up so I can read my notes and see your face. Oh, you do that? I, I switch from one to the other. <laughs> that makes so much more sense, though. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it makes it easier for me to pick up on the like nonverbal cues of like when you're done with a thought and then I can like jump in and like vice versa yeah. and stuff. It just helps me. I need That's it. True. I need to see your face. That makes so much sense. I don't know why I haven't been doing that. Because I know I have like I know I have like weird stopping points and I'm just like, I'm done. And then I'm just like, mm, Tracy, go. Like work class. And then you always do. And I'm just like, all right. Oh, that's because I can see you <laughs> in a I, not creepy way. <laughs> not at all. You're definitely not at my window, outside my window right now. Oh, gosh. That would be so awful if I were. Could you imagine <laughs> me just like my eyes <laughs> with yeah, the microphone over. over the window? <laughs> well, hey, I am, I am, I am on the second floor. So that'd be really impressive if you're able to do that. So. A ladder, obviously. Really? I'm a champ with ladders for my last job. Just holding onto a ladder with one hand, microphone in the other, creeping over. All right. That's fine. I would not be worried about this. That's cool. I got very comfortable on a ladder in my last job because I, I had to climb the ladder all the time to get into like the top part of the stock rooms and stuff. All right. The stock. And sometimes mm-hmm. I would just skip the ladder altogether and climb the shelves because that was more effective for me. (laughs) Is it safe? Absolutely not. Do I recommend it? Definitely not, but it worked. You know, you do what you do. Oh yeah. Okay. See, the thing is though, I live with two people, one of them who is over six feet and the other one is about 5'10". That means I cannot reach like half the food in the kitchen. (laughs) And so I don't have the option to ask them if they're around, either to climb the counters myself, which they're really like, their kitchen is like really small and does not allow for a lot of space to do that. Like my other houses have, um, because, you know, I have to do this in every house. Um, Or I can go get one of their chairs, which don't always feel steady. So I'm just like always torn between like, okay, what's it going to be today? How risky do I want to play this? Ridiculous. They can reach the very top of the cupboards. I can hardly reach the second shelf. My last roommate could like, you know how tall my cabinets were in my house. My roommate could reach like all the way up like it was no big deal. And I was like, my other roommate and I were constantly climbing on chairs. Right. (laughs) And she would climb onto the countertop after climbing on a chair. Like it was just Okay, yeah, I've had to do that too. Okay, yeah, no, I once watched, okay, this sounds so dumb, but I once watched a TikTok of this really tall guy who was like, here, for anyone who's been wondering how, what it's like to live as a person who's like 6'3", six, 6'5", six, here's how I live my life. And yes, and so he, he put his video up at like I, like his eye vision, vision point, whatever, and just like walked around, picked a few things up, and I was like, what the heck? Yeah. It was so weird. I don't have words <laughs> to describe how crazy it was. Honestly, being a short person in a tall person's world is truly a toxic situation. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it can be toxic from either angle. Like, there's crazy tall people and then there's crazy short people. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful segue, by the way, leading right into today's topic. A. Moving past the toxicity within the church. Yeah. Except this is going to be more serious. We're just being ridiculous now to ease us into it. <laughs> yes, we are going to make the awkward transition now into a more serious subject. And it's going to be great, you guys. We've got this. Yes. Work with us on this. We really are starting the year with heavy hitters. Like, we are just going up to bat and being like, we're just going to hit them all. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Well, like when we were okay, when we were planning this, you guys, just a quick note, like we've started planning out our episodes in advance and we were just so excited to add some things in and we ended up making a few changes along the way. And honestly, yes, we were just like, wait, we need to talk about this, we need to talk about this, and we need to talk about this. Is it heavy? Is it hard? Is it scary? Yes. But we're doing this. And when we said we're doing this, we're like, we're gonna do it immediately <laughs> for a couple of them <laughs> because we were like, we just need to. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> It just needs to be said. So, 
yeah, after 2020 and everything flowing into 2021, like we realized we did have to have this conversation um, or at least start it. We know it's a very broad topic. It is very broad. We know this. Yeah. But we're going to at least touch it. Yeah. And we're going to poke it and prod it. So the big reason we wanted to have this conversation is because the two of us have observed a lot of divisive, rude, and frankly abhorrent behavior and speech over the last year, especially from members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And to be totally honest, we are sick of it. <laughs> we, it shouldn't be there. We don't like it. Why? Why? We, <sighs> we are so tired of the hatred and the pain that is exchanged so frequently and so like freely. And so this week we are talking about moving past all of that toxicity that exists in all organized religion, including our own. We feel that judgments and accusations have been amplified more recently through social media, and that can really hinder us when we're focusing on our testimony and our spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Please note that this episode, we're not here to like dive into politics, into elections, or condemning one side over another. We're not here to tackle all the public issues that are going on right now. Instead, we're trying to focus on how this is supposed to be about being followers of Christ and how we need to be better if we truly want to take his name upon us. So we're trying to remain politically neutral in this conversation because... Once again, this is not about politics. We want everyone to feel included in this conversation. We're not picking sides. We're here to talk about the foundation of our faith and how we need to be making sure that we are sharing love with those around us. Yeah. So we're going to jump right in. So the first section that we want to talk about is, I put this in because (laughs) this is a comment that I got a lot in preparation for this episode. It's... Mm -hmm. What toxicity? Everything is fine. So we know that we are going to get some comments from people who do not believe that there is a toxic environment or any toxic behavior or culture in the church. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if you have never had an experience that made you feel judged, unwelcome, or hurt in church, we are so happy for you. We want you to continue feeling good about your experiences in church. Mm -hmm. However... However, we also want you to realize that not everyone has had the same experience as you and that it shouldn't take something hurtful happening to you to make you care about improving the environment you're in and the environment that you're creating. This kind of touches back on last week's episode about mourning with those who mourn. It's not up to us to judge people and what they're going through, and it's not up to us to tell people how to feel. But we do need to be there to listen and to support those around us. So if someone says that they are suffering, that they are being judged, then it's our obligation, it's our duty as followers of Christ to listen to these people and to do our best to support them, to love them, and see how that we can help them ultimately. Yeah. We would also like to point out that toxicity in the church is not a new thing. It's not like it suddenly creeped up over the last few years and people have suddenly become quote-unquote too sensitive. This has been going on for years, decades, and some could even say centuries, not just in our church, but in like religions worldwide. Mm -hmm. Over the last 10 years specifically, we've heard more talks from leaders in general conference highlighting behaving like Christ with Christ-like love, the dangers of judging others, and the importance of creating environments of healing and safety at church. The root of this problem, as we've learned, is pride. On the surface, you may not think that your initial judgment of someone is due to pride in your knowledge, testimony, or commitment to the gospel, but it is. If you are using the gospel to make someone else feel inferior, unwelcome, or criticized, you are putting yourself and your knowledge higher than the Lord's. And that, my friend, is pride. Serious problem here, you guys. All right. So there is a quote that I love to pull in. It's by Dr. Met Harrison. I really apologize if I'm pronouncing her name incorrectly. She has written some great material, and I just finished reading her book, The Women's Book of Mormon, Volume 1. It was fun. There's a lot of great and insightful information in there. And there's something within the book that I absolutely loved. And she said, when the children of men become used to a certain habit of spirituality, they think they know God's mind. They begin to enforce it upon others, though they were never given a commandment to do this. They begin to think that because it is natural for them, it must be natural for all and that God approves only what they are. They make God into themselves and themselves into God's. Wow. 
Yeah, that hit me so hard when I read that. Like, I had to put the book down for a minute and think because it put into words more clearly the thoughts that I've had. Like, I, I know it's always been based around pride, but I had not been able to put it into a frame like that before. Yeah. And it just, it makes so much sense. It really does. That is, honestly, that really, just that last line of they make God into themselves and themselves into gods is really what we've been seeing a lot Mm -hmm. at least over the last year, when we are seeing people put words into God's mouth Mm -hmm. and use it to support whatever ideals they have. And that's not what you should be doing whatsoever. Right, exactly. And it's really interesting as well. It's not just been in our church. I know we're going to be focusing mainly on our church, but I've also been thinking about um, in the Catholic church, the current pope, I apologize, I don't know his name, but he's been changing a few things up lately. Like, since he's been the Pope, he's been making some decisions that not everyone agrees with. And everyone's just like, you're wrong, you're wrong. And that's been happening in our church, too. It happens everywhere. And it's just so interesting to see how they will say, my opinion is above yours. You don't get to speak for me. You don't get to speak for God, even though you're supposed to be the mouthpiece of our church and God's voice on the planet. Yeah. And it's... It's just a struggle. And a problem. And it needs to stop. <laughs> it needs to stop, you guys. Let's, let's be better. <laughs> so like we discussed last week in our episode about mourning with those who mourn, we know that sometimes people say insensitive things because they just don't know what to do or to say. Like, instead of asking the Lord what to say or do in certain situations, they just do whatever they think is best. And that often leads to creating bad situations, giving awkward lessons, and creating negative thoughts and feelings about the church from the outside. Exactly. And to present a very clear, I think, and a rather familiar example is if we take into consideration Elizabeth Smart's situation of how she spent years as a kidnapped and assaulted victim. She talked about when she was freed and began to heal. She shared a lot about what she had learned during her time being kidnapped and afterward. One of her stories has always stuck with me as she explained how she felt pretty much ruined and broken inside and outside because of the well-intentioned purity lessons that she received growing up in young women's. Because of what happened to her, she thought that she could no longer be loved or be saved. There was guilt and pain trapped inside her for a long time. That should never have existed. Our worth being tied to our purity is a frequent theme found in young women's lessons. Not the current manuals, but the way lessons are and were given in the past. We've put in so much focus on that idea that is inherently flawed, and it's caused a lot of damage. It's a problem because it's not the case whatsoever. So well-intentioned leaders can give lessons about chastity with chewed of gum and toothpaste, and it's going to stick in the worst way possible, and things like that should not be happening. It's problems like this that cause more issues down the line for people when they're trying to build a testimony, when they're trying to understand their faith better. Yeah. I mean, we did an episode about um, marriage lists or spouse lists that we had in Young Women's, and that was a terrible lesson that stuck with us for like easily 15 plus years like it's just someone had a good intention but like the execution was terrible and so it creates difficult painful environments for people to go through at church exactly in actually this month in the liahona The article is called Including Everyone by Tracy Browning of the Relief Society General Board, and it is really beautiful about making sure that people do feel welcome and invited and loved when they are at church. I wanted to share this quote from it specifically. She says, For some, the journey to the chapel doors includes feeling vulnerable, anxious, or lonely. Their experiences, family realities, or circumstances may not reflect an imagined ideal. This often leads to feeling like they stand on the outside looking in, even when that ideal doesn't represent reality for any of us. Our value to God is not affected by our circumstances. And in many cases, these less-than-ideal circumstances push us to grow and learn. But because of these circumstances, there are many who feel like it is hard to fit in or be fully understood. And I really love this quote because we do have that kind of culture of an imagined ideal. 
the husband and wife who are both members who have been sealed and been through the temple and have like 3.5 kids and they're all beautiful, happy, wonderful together all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we force that ideal in church when we're talking about families or marriage or anything else. Right. Right. It's an expectation. Yeah. If you don't meet those standards, then you're not doing it right. Yes. That's basically what gets said without it being said. And when we do focus on that ideal, we are inadvertently ostracizing single people or people who have been divorced or people who have lost a spouse because they've died or people who are like part member families or any of the other kind of assortments and differences in families that you could possibly have. And we need to be aware that not everybody is going to be a part of that ideal that we have in the church. And we need to be more open, loving, and accepting of the reality that that exists. Right. Just because they're doing it different doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it wrong. And it's not up to us, like you said, to judge or to decide for them. So Christ was a perfect example for caring of caring for everyone, even if they don't like if even if they didn't personally impact him or like we're in like supposed to be in his life or anything like, okay, that sounds weird. Um, Christ said the perfect example of caring for people that society said that they didn't really need to care for or anything like that. He was there to take care of everyone, no matter what. And he gave an incredible parable. It's one, it's actually my current favorite parable of the good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 verses 30 through 37. So that one is about how a man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was robbed, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road. Many had passed along before, either ignoring him in his plight or crossing to the other side of the road to create more distance between them. But there was a Samaritan, a man from a different territory um, that people thought would cause danger. They didn't like these, pe- these people were from like different lands who did not like each other, but he chose to help the stranger. He was probably late to wherever he was going. He was a few dollars short by the end of this, but he actively chose to help the stranger because he saw that someone was have suffering and he chose to help them this is something that we should always be doing as well we want our eyes to be open to the world around us and to our brothers and sisters who may be struggling it just makes so much sense to me and it hurts that people don't always consider that and when we think about these two examples given beautifully by sister browning and the savior we wanted to also take the chance to learn about the experiences of others so i mean the two of us can easily talk about our own experiences um, and regarding toxicity, we I know we've shared a few of them before, um, but we did also think it was more important to give all of you a stronger voice in this discussion. So we did make an anonymous Google form for our friends, listeners, and people who've never heard the podcast before to fill out regarding their own experiences at church. So this is something that we'll be referencing throughout the episode because the feedback we received was eye-opening as well as heartbreaking. So we just want to say thank you so much to everyone who participated. We really appreciate your honesty. Yes. Um, In this form, we surveyed about 30 people and asked them this question in particular. Have you ever felt judged or unwelcome at church? Of the 30 people that were surveyed, 66.7% said yes. If you are in the 66.7% that said yes, We want to take a second to apologize on behalf of those people who made you feel judged or unwelcome. We know that we can't change the hurt that they caused you and we can't make up for it, but we want you to know that your feelings are valid, you're heard, we love you, and we want things to get better for you and for everyone else. Truly, we've been through those kind of situations before in our own ways and our own experiences And we know how hard it can be being among people that you feel judged by. We care and you do matter. To be like totally honest, I don't know if there's a time that I ever felt judged or unwelcome at church by like the members. I mean, my bishop prick is a different situation, but that's a story for another time, kids. But I do know from being the Relief Society president how prevalent this feeling is, especially especially among women in the church. So for those of you who responded affirmatively in this question, please know that you really are not alone. There are other people that feel the same way you do. And if you ever feel comfortable enough to open up about that with people around you in church or people that you're close with, you will find a stronger community 
than you previously thought you had. Definitely. Um, I do remember feeling judged growing up, but I also think it had a bit to do with depression and because I was not the best person. <laughs> I made some dumb, <laughs> dumb moves. Um, but I, I do know the pain and I've had feelings like that that have haunted me for a very long time. It's hard, but with time, I know that we can heal and we can move on and find the peace that we're in, that we're looking for. And I firmly believe that there is some ward out there. It might not be your current ward now, but there are people out there who are not going to judge you, who are going to love you for the way that you are. You'll find them. I promise you. Yes, you will. So we wanted to discuss um, examples of a toxic environment or experience that people have experienced. These particular responses came from the 66.7% that affirmed that they had felt judged or unwelcome at church at any particular time. This came after the follow-up question, which was, describe a time when you felt judged or unwelcome at church and what made it toxic for you. So we're going to work our way through some of these. Um, The first one mentions how sometimes singles words can be very cliquish. Yes, yes, and unfortunately, yes. Another said, I'm single, 47, and I've never been married. I think the church is very unwelcoming for single people over the age of 30. Mm -hmm. I feel that. Yeah. I am now 31. And over the last, like, four years, basically once I hit 26, 27, I started seeing that the singles warts or, like, anything didn't really care about the older singles. They cared about the new singles, like the people that were just coming in. Yeah, I can only imagine how much more challenging it is as you get past 30. And that it shouldn't be like, we need to have more set up, more support set up for, for everyone. All right. So another one says, the looks I get because I have chosen to wear a beard and I don't always wear a white shirt. Comments about my being a stay-at-home dad, comments about what I studied at university, and comments about my trying to make a living as a writer. Blanket statements that Im- implicitly condemn anyone with liberal political views such as myself. So that was a list of a lot of things that one person has to put up with on a regular basis. Yeah. For all the decisions that they've made that are not necessarily wrong by any means. No. They're not wrong. There's nothing bad, false, crazy about them. They're just decisions that have been made and there's no reason to judge. Yeah, period. Um, Another says... I mentioned earlier that it's toxic when leaders teach young women that modesty is the women's responsibility and that our way of dressing and our bodies are responsible where men have impure thoughts, or sorry, when men have impure thoughts, or if they are interested in pornography. I also think it's toxic when members like to judge, gossip, etc. I also think it's toxic when members talk about how some members were better than others in the pre-existence, especially when they tie race into it. I could go on and on, unfortunately. Oh, no. All of those things are super problematic and they are very, very perfect. Like, I'm not trying to say that anyone's comment is above another, but like this comment encapsulates so many things that our toxic culture is making right now. Right. Okay. So like we're talking about how like how people judge others for doing certain things, but but this person just pointed out it's toxic to do the judging in itself. Not only are other people not doing wrong, but you are doing wrong when you're making judgments like that about people. Um, and then another one says people being critical, but not willing to step up and help the problem, making judgments, making comments, like judging every little thing like that's not okay. And if there is really a problem, then they're not willing to actually do anything to help someone out. Yeah. Another one is hostile leaders and members who are self-righteous. That is a big problem. <sighs> it is. All right. The next one does say, I feel judged when I haven't been to church for a while, even if I wasn't able to be there. I feel like instead of missing me, they miss having an extra number at church. I feel like members sometimes like to make a point about you missing church rather than asking, how are you? We miss you. Yes. Yes. Everyone's always like, hey, how have you been? We miss you. Like, But like in the way that's just like, we miss you. Where have you been? Why weren't you here? Mm-hmm. And it turns into accusations. And that is extremely harmful. And it definitely does not make someone feel welcome. Yeah. And the last one we wanted to highlight from this form was people not talking to me, people making general judgmental comments about doing things or thinking a certain way without knowing I did those things or thought that way feeling like I didn't fit in because I didn't fit the mold of a perfect Mormon young adult woman. 
I have heard all of those comments from when I was the Relief Society president. Yeah. From like, again, I don't know who submitted this response, but I definitely got all of those when I first became the Relief Society president. People were like, people are saying this to me. People are saying that to me. And I was like, why is this happening? (laughs) This needs to stop. So there are so many more responses that we got, but we like tried to summarize most of them. There are many who continue to feel unwelcome at church, and it could be because of strained relationships or because someone is struggling with their faith and doesn't feel like they have the support they need through their journey. People are continually making snap judgments and gossiping in a way that only hurts the unity that a ward should have. And it's poison. It really is poison in a ward. It is. It's just so hurtful. It's so harmful. And attitudes like that just keep spreading until everyone's poisoned, basically. It's the worst. Mm -hmm. And some are just so desperate to keep the status quo that they would rather ostracize people than allow them to have a safe place of worship. That is so wrong. We don't have the right to pass judgment over how other people live. Churches are supposed to be open and welcome to all. I mean, we, I think we've both known some people who have left the church because of people who've mocked their accents, who have judged the way they dress. And I, I knew this one girl in college. She had started investigating the church, but stopped the moment she realized that the ward was just judging her for every little thing that she did. And when I heard her story, it just killed me because I was like, that's not, that's not the church. I know, like, I know people in general can just be better than this. And I do not blame her for never wanting to have any kind of contact with the church again because of that. Like, none of that is okay. We need to do better for each other. We all, all have a place in the kingdom of God. And it's time that we make space for one another in our hearts and the church pews. All right. So there is a verse in 2 Nephi chapter 26, verse 33. So it talks about how God's love for his children is not exclusive, but rather all-inclusive. And it says, and he invited them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness. And he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. And he remembereth the heathen and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. Everyone's welcome. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. So we had a question on our Google form that was about how people's spirituality and testimony has been affected due to the political climate over the last four years. This is the only time we're going to be a little bit political in this episode, but we asked this question specifically because a lot of people who listen to our podcast are in their 20s and 30s and have been discovering their political ideologies and figuring out how to reconcile those with their spiritual ideologies. Kaylee and I have both been deeply affected by and are trying to reconcile and better align our political beliefs with our spiritual beliefs. So we really felt like it was important to ask this question. We don't want to focus a lot of time on the responses to this question in particular because we are trying to remain as neutral politically as possible in this episode, but we do want to highlight a theme from those responses by paraphrasing them into one super response. So the super response is, quote, Politics make the world so loud and I feel discouraged in trying to keep up my activity in the church. My spirituality has been complicated in the last few years. I feel that my personal relationship with God has deepened as I've turned more towards the internal aspects of my beliefs. But my respect for the people of the church has been deeply shaken. It's been hard. Seeing the political beliefs of some other members of the church has been extremely difficult for me. Trying to reconcile and understand how we are taught the same things, but watching some people twist those things into reasons for hatred and cruelty have been very difficult. Life isn't black and white, so to speak. A lot of people in the church live their lives that way, and it's hard for me to try to live up to the pressure of it, end quote. Yeah, that's heavy stuff. And honestly, we we understand that. We understand the way that you're all feeling more than you can possibly imagine. We are here for you. And we know how some of you mentioned that you've stepped away from church while you're trying to heal that wound. And we do support you in your decision to do so. We know it's been loud and hard and discouraging and painful at times, especially over the last four years to try to reconcile your political views with your testimony of the gospel. We're never going to condemn you for stepping away for a bit or or try to coerce you into just staying because we know that's not helpful and only causes further pain. This is your journey and 
you're going to do what's best for you and we trust you and we are here to support you. We don't have all the answers and we can't tell you what works in the reconciliation process. That's going to be different for every person. And we can't tell you that the church has the ultimate political truth for you. But we can tell you that as we've been both trying to figure things out for ourselves, we have been praying a lot and we've been trying to deepen our relationship with our heavenly parents. And that alone, Alice, has made a significant difference for us in our process. I know for me, I've been praying a lot and asking for the Lord to remove the pain and the hurt that I felt from some of the horrible things that people have said to me or around me or to people I love regarding politics and the church. And I know that as I've prayed about it, and I mean like the desperate praying on my knees through lots of tears and mental exhaustion and anguish, I have really felt the pain ease. I've really felt peace take its place, and I felt my relationship with my heavenly parents and Savior strengthen. I would highly suggest praying more frequently to be able to heal and to remove the pain of toxicity so that way you can draw closer to the Savior, especially if you are not feeling comfortable going to church. I think that is the most important thing you can do to try to heal the wound that the toxicity is leaving. I can promise you that showing up at a church building is not going to fix it. (laughs) It's not going to be the way to fix it overnight. And it's going to take a long time. Like I'm still working through things and healing things. It's not an overnight process. Yeah, it's not. There's not a checklist. It's not an overnight thing. It's it's going to take time. It's going to take commitment. And I, I agree with you on the prayer part thing. Like I have not been praying as much as I should, but it's at least the one thing I do before bed every night still. And that's like one of the only moments I feel throughout the entire week of having any peace in my life. Yeah, so definitely do that. Thank you. One thing that we do know is that everything changes with the times and that, and also the church has adjusted along the path as well. And that's something that we do need to take into consideration during these momentous occasions. We need to use that to look back with open eyes at the history of the church and see how we can proceed forward. Like politics have gone through a lot of extremes and we need to have everything in consideration, especially in the struggles that we're facing. So we just wanted to highlight topics or issues that we know a lot of people do struggle with within the church right now. We're not going to dive too deep into them, but we do want to share a few insights that might help you. Um, The first one is the Family Proclamation. So that was published in 1995, and it teaches about the basic tenets of a proper marriage, with quotes. So it runs into issues, though, with with especially the LGBTQ plus community. And additionally, it doesn't really touch on things that people should not do within a marriage, such as unrighteous dominion and spousal abuse. Yeah. And even though it's an innocent-looking one-page document. It's caused a lot of controversy and a lot of pain. Families struggle to understand each other clearly, and everyone tends to get bogged down with a lot of ideas rather than the foundational setup for being Christ-like, which is love. Yeah, I would like to add that I read an article that's an interview with Chieko Okazaki, who was a former member of the Relief Society General Presidency, and she is also a well-known badass. She said that the document wasn't shown to the Relief Society General Presidency until the week of General Conference when it was presented. Yeah, so they didn't get to work on it or help on it for a document that's about families. Yes. So she said, quote, When the family proclamation to the world was written, the Relief Society Presidency was asked to come to a meeting. We did. And they read this proclamation. It was all finished. The only question was whether they should present it at the priesthood meeting or at the Relief Society meeting. It didn't matter to me where it was presented. What I wanted to know was how come we weren't consulted. As I read it, I thought we could have made a few changes to it, end quote. So, yeah. Yeah. That, (laughs) to me personally, that put it into a lot more and into a lot more context of the situation surrounding the decision for this document and how, you know, it came about and it's given me a lot more to think about. So when we do see these complicated issues that we are struggling to understand and maybe accept or decide to refuse, we need to understand everything around it to have a clearer picture on it. Yeah. That also goes into the priesthood ban. Do you know if it was only black people? I honestly don't know. No. Okay. I don't know if it was only black members or if w- if it was all BIPOC members that were not allowed to have the priesthood. No worries. Okay. All right. So in regards to the priesthood ban, 
black church members, or it might have been BIPOC, we don't really know, they were not allowed to have the priesthood. But this was not always the case. It was established by Brigham Young after Joseph Smith's death, and then it was changed and removed right in the middle of the civil rights era. I remember thinking about this, and I was like, great, we finally received revelation and fixed this issue because that's crazy. Um, But there's a few things that we really need to take into consideration with this. For example, that means we need to consider how it was changed in the prime of our grandparents' lives. Like, I I, I don't have words for this because it doesn't can be, it just doesn't make sense to me because that's not okay. Well, yeah, because if you think about it, like, they always say that they put the civil rights movement pictures in black and white to make it seem like it was so much further back in history than it actually was. Yeah, right. And it wasn't. And it's a hot topic and it's to a certain extent because it's still extremely relevant and there's still so much that I think we need to do about a lot of things. And also dealing with toxicity in the church, we do need to consider how bigotry remains and how generational trauma is a real thing. Racism is taught from one generation to another. To think that racism is still not alive and real is to be blind. This is still hurting a lot of people. To be totally honest, in this situation and with the family proclamation situation, it only further highlights to me that the people who run the church are not perfect. Yes. And they are susceptible to the frailties of mankind, just like everybody else is. They are susceptible to racism. They are susceptible to bigotry. They are susceptible to prejudice. And we have seen so many quotes from so many prominent leaders of the past who just spew racism and all of this other stuff. And they're spewing things that servants of God should not be spewing. And so it just reaffirms to me that like the church is run by imperfect people and you have to take things that they say with a grain of salt, knowing that there is a very good chance that they are being heavily influenced by their upbringing and their own prejudices and not allowing the Lord to execute his full will. Right. Thank you. That... (laughs) That put into words what I could not say. <laughs> and it reminds me, I think it was I think it was Kimball who said that like you basically don't need to be listening to a dead prophet. You need to just be paying attention and prioritizing the words of the current living prophet who is going to be a little bit more relevant, who's going to be a little bit more aware of current situations, and is going to have more insights to share. That's definitely helped me a lot. Um, because yes, we do still need to take things with a grain of salt and to see where they're coming from with everything that they say. And hopefully with time and effort, we can continue to improve things. Yeah. Honestly, we need to find what works for us personally. Ideally, everyone would be supportive of the journeys that we take through our life regarding spirituality, through gender and sexual identities, through our futures and more. But unfortunately, that is not the way that life is. We will run into people everywhere in our lives who judge us friends, families, church leaders, strangers, and even loved ones. There will still be chances for toxicity to come our way, but we should do our best to take care of ourselves and not let it continue to hurt us. And so this next section comes from the Google form, and it's just responses to this question. How have you been able to move past toxicity in the church and continue to develop your testimony? And so we wanted to share a couple of these responses because we thought they were just really great and helpful. Very much so. All right. The first one says two things, the covenants I made in the temple and the sustained spiritual distillations that come to me when I diligently pray and meditate upon the scriptures. Beautiful. So I think that's very important. That's that's very good. The next one is sometimes you have to cut off as much contact as possible with certain individuals. That can be very hard to do if you're both active in the church. In our case, it was a blessing that the toxic member was largely inactive and so healing was allowed to take root prior to seeing that person again at an activity. Additionally, renewing and relying on good ward friendships was a very healthy way to reestablish self-esteem and positive connections. So, I mean, for me, I'm really good at cutting off contact with people, but I think I attribute that mostly to my Sagittarius fire sign ways where I just (laughs) am really good at cutting people out of my life, but... I have to admit that like that is a very helpful thing to do. If you're cutting the toxicity out of your life so you can have time to heal, that's great. Yeah, that's honestly, perfect. that's sometimes what you have to do. It, it will hurt. It'll be awkward. It'll be weird. People are going to be confused. Mm-hmm. But you need to do what's best for you. 
All right. So the next one says the classic, the church is run by and includes imperfect people um, is what helps them. So it, they said how it sounds cliche, but humanity makes everything difficult. True. <laughs> so true. And I mean, we, and Tracy just shared that as well. Like the church is composed of imperfect people. We're all going to be making mistakes. We just need to keep trying to do better. Yeah. The next one says, I'm still working on it, but I try to focus on my testimony and what I know to be true. I remember that it has been prophesied that in the last days, the church will be corrupted and that few will be left living the true faith. I try to live my life in a way that I will feel comfortable talking about with the Savior. Beautiful. And I think that's so perfect. It's just doing what you can to feel comfortable in front of the Savior because that's ultimately what your religion should be focused on. Exactly. I really like that. All right. The next one says, I'm not, I'm honestly not sure I totally have yet. I have been working hard to focus on my personal study of the scriptures and the gospel and building my relationship with Christ and heavenly parents outside of that. Also trying to give myself permission to still enjoy church when I know others have been hurt by the institution. Yeah. That's completely understandable. And I think you do need to be finding joy and looking for understanding wherever you can. We always need to be there to be compassionate with those around us who are struggling and help them on their journeys. But we also do need to be working on our own journeys as well to see what works for us. Yeah. Kind of going with that one is this next response where they say, that's a tough question. I'm still in questioning mode, but I have to do it in secret because as history will show us, it's easier to leave the church and figure things out than be a questioning member. I stay mostly because of the youth. I don't want them to have the same chastity lessons I learned example, chewed gum, modesty, men should hold all the power, etc. For both of those people, I feel that so much. It really is so much easier to just leave the church and figure things out than to be a questioning member of the church. But I really appreciate how you are trying to find joy in church and to allow other people to sit in their feelings as well as be an example for the next generation that you can still have questions and still be there and work your way through it. I think those are beautiful examples that you're giving. Mm-hmm. They are beautiful and they're they're so good. Like we do judge the idea of a questioning member. We think everyone needs to have their perfect faith and the strongest testimonies all the time. And that's not how it is. And that is perfectly okay. There are going to be things that we struggle with. There's going to be truths that are easier to accept that we can understand better, things that we're going to just struggle with and things we disagree with. And that is all okay. We are all on our own journeys and we shouldn't be having to hide our struggles in the dark alone when we are hurting. Yeah. So keep doing what you're doing. And I really hope that it works for you and you're able to find your answers. And speaking of this next person says that I do find peace in my relationship with God and knowing that personally, I'm doing my best to keep his commandments and not the rules or expectations set by those around me. I don't find a lot of toxicity at church because I'm obnoxious and make friends with everyone, whether they like it or not, and don't care what others think. That gives me freedom to focus on myself and not focus on others' opinions of myself. Only God, Jesus Christ, and I matter. And with the three of us, I find a lot of mercy that the world doesn't offer. I love that. That is bold. I really appreciate that. And that's definitely what I strive to be more like. I want to be able to put aside anything that people think of me and just focus on my relationships with my heavenly parents and Jesus Christ. Like that's, yeah, that's where you're going to find the mercy that and the love that you're looking for. So for me, I know that I struggle with this a lot because, I mean, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I spent a lot of time over the summer debating with people from my mission, my old family ward, and my LDS college about racism in America. People who I once thought were like the epitome of Christ-like love and behavior were behaving like absolute animals and wishing death on people who support Black Lives Matter or equal rights. And I was really shocked and hurt to my absolute core over the summer. I was happy to see that not all members were behaving like this. And I did have a good number of friends from my mission, from my old family ward, and from my same LDS college who were speaking up and calling for Christ-like behavior. All of this hasn't gone away. Those feelings of shock and hurt are still there. 
earlier this month, we had a mission face-to-face with our mission president and his wife, and I was dreading going on because I was like, I'm going to have to sit through people talking about violent political rhetoric before or after the meeting, and I'm going to have to shut it down, and I just don't have the energy to do that. But what has kept me going and what's kept me growing my testimony in the face of all of this behavior is my relationship with the Savior and my heavenly parents. The person who shared that last response about the only people who matter are God, Jesus, and themselves has it 100% correct. I have spent a lot of time over the last year in particular reading and diving headfirst into my scripture study and my prayers have changed like absolutely 100% as well. It's really only been through my focus on my spiritual foundation and my relationship with the Savior that I've been able to move forward with all the toxic crap that I've seen and heard. I'm not saying that like the healing process from all of that has been easy and it's happened quickly, but I am saying that it's possible to move forward focusing on your testimony and your relationship with Christ and our heavenly parents while telling everyone else to shove it essentially. So like focus on that because that's what matters. Honestly, yes. I feel exactly the same way you do. Like you you said everything. It hurts. And whilst there are parts that do get easier, it doesn't always stop hurting. Like I, I agree with you. I agree with everything that everyone said. And I face similar situations of, you know, judgments of running into people who I thought like I agreed with and everything. And I thought we were on the same page and finding that they are like, no, like you're wrong. You're a horrible person for thinking that anyone who thinks like that should leave the church and or die. And I'm just like, what? And honestly, I look back and I realize that I grew up in a set of that would have led me down that another extreme path. And I, it scares me a little bit to realize how close that happened because it's only been in the last couple of years that I have drastically changed the direction I'm going on. In some ways, a lot of people have been concerned about me for the direction that I'm taking, like, because my relationship with the church is different now, but it is better. Like, I feel better as a person. My past experiences have given me an interesting view on relevant matters, and it's helped me to understand different situations in a lot more context than before. I mean, there's still moments where, you know, where it's all foggy and I'm left confused and hurt, especially with the people that I happen to love. It makes sense that you would think that everyone in the church grew up and prioritizes love, charity, and kindness, but that's not the case. History and science proves that. And sometimes the more comfortable you are, the less you tend to care about those who are not comfortable. And I've been there. I know that. And we do need to be doing better and we need to be looking for ways to be a better person. And so the way I've been trying to to do better, to, to focus on myself, to focus on my relationship with Christ. I've been doing a lot of those things that people have done. I've stepped back in a few areas and I've worked on different parts of myself. I've been going to church sources. I pray hard when I pray. I don't pray a lot. I don't pray as often as I should. And I know this, but I know where my feelings are and I'm working on them and I accept my faults and I'm constantly trying to do a little bit better. And I think that's all that we can do at the end of the day. Beautiful. So This next step, we want to go into discussing what advice you would give someone that is feeling burdened or hurt by toxicity in the church. And so we have a few particularly on point responses that we wanted to share with you guys. So the first one is try to escape the toxicity, even if it's going outside for a few minutes to regroup. I also advocate asking questions or working towards removing judgments in your communication. Treat everyone with respect, even when they don't appear to deserve it. That's well said. And next one says, overall, we're told we go to church for ourselves. But if you feel like an outcast, it really does make a difference. And I don't think the strength of your testimony reflects that. I think it's valid to feel those ways. And sometimes you have to weed through people to find someone you can connect with. Mm-hmm. The next one is, I think it helps to recognize your own weaknesses and shortcomings. We've probably all offended someone at church at least once, and we should look for ways to love and support even those who offend us. Sometimes the best way to do that is to avoid situations in which they may offend you further, or in which you may offend them, and I think that's okay. I love that one. That's really good. It's also helpful to learn to see others' points of view. People do have their opinions for a reason, so you can always try to find that middle ground, really. Yeah. Another one is seek ways to uplift spiritually and join social groups, if not in person, online. Those are very helpful, especially during the pandemic. Yes. 
Right, if necessary, because actual physical space is needed, I would absolutely encourage attending another ward if there is another one available. Sometimes in trying to heal, physical distance is a true necessity. Otherwise, and in addition, reconnecting with those members who are not harmful and are willing and able to listen to concerns is particularly helpful. Yes, I agree. Next one is only the individual can decide whether the church is the right place for them to be. You are not a bad person if you stay, and you're not a bad person if you leave. Say no to callings that you don't want. Skip activities that you aren't interested in. Find less toxic spaces online if you can. And I think those like little tips, the saying no to callings, skipping activities, all important steps that we can take. Yes. When you're in church, you should be doing your best. But if you're sacrificing your mental health, then nothing's going to go right and you're, you're going to be hurt. Yeah. So there's also another one that says to focus on Christ and ignore the rest. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to be better or get along with others, but if we do focus on Christ, we will want to be better for him and not for others. Yes. I like that. Which I think we've said like a bunch of times already, and they're like echoing it even better. All right. This next one says, do whatever they need to for their own safety and health and that of their family. Lean on the Savior and keep speaking up for the truth. There is a gaslighting effect happening now with people lecturing others to be kind and Christ-like when they are presented with information that doesn't fit their narrative. But Jesus had a human experience like all of us. He both felt and expressed anger, sadness, and other emotions. He showed mercy, and there were times he held his peace. But he never lied, and he called out hypocrisy. Being truthful doesn't mean being neutral, and being kind doesn't mean being quiet. Oh, that's good. I love that one. Whoever you are that gave that comment, just the biggest round of applause for you. I can't even. Oh, that's good. Okay, I'm going to repeat that last line. Being truthful doesn't mean being neutral, and being kind doesn't mean being quiet. Yeah. Oh, that's good. You just gave the biggest mic drop ever on that Google form, and I am here for it. Thank you. Oh, that's good. All right. The last one says, trust the relationship that you have with God and the direction that he gives you specifically. Yes. So important. I love that. We're, we're all on our own journeys. Don't try to follow someone else's. Yeah. And then this quote comes back from Chieko Okasaki from that article that I talked about earlier. She says, quote, when we talk about retention, it's not about being in the church. It's about retaining the things of the church that we need to have to become part of his kingdom. The retention comes when they have an understanding of who they are and why they're here and why God has brought this church back to us. What I understood as the gospel message didn't match what we encountered, she means her husband and herself, so often with the people of the church. There was a big gap in so many ways. Again, my mother's wisdom helped. She wasn't a Mormon. She was a Buddhist until she died. She said, know that you know the truth, and others haven't learned that truth yet, so just hold fast and let the rest go. So that's what we, my husband and I, did. We just held on and tried to look at the doctrines of the gospel rather than how people behaved sometimes and believed that our Father in Heaven and Jesus Christ would not look at us any differently, end quote. So I really love that quote because she really focuses on retaining the principles and foundations of the gospel more than anything else. If you are doing nothing else to move past the toxicity in the church, focus on the core principles and doctrines of the church that make the church the way it is. Not the people, not the culture, not the policies, not the programs, just the principles and doctrines, and that will change everything for you. Right. And hold on to that. Know that you know the truth. Hold fast and let the rest go. I love that. All right. And then our last conversation we want to have is acknowledging that sometimes we might be the ones who are judging others. And we want to make sure that we are doing our best to love others, to support others, and to not be causing the toxic behavior. One thing that we need to be doing constantly is evaluating our own behaviors. We need to be double-checking what we're saying and what we're doing. The change we want to see in church can't happen unless everyone is willing to first look at themselves, their words, their actions, their thoughts, and evaluate their personal impact on the church. For example, in Dieter Fuchtdorf's talk, The Merciful Obtain Mercy from April 2012 General Conference, he said, My dear brothers and sisters, consider the following questions as a self-test. One, do you harbor a grudge against someone else? Two, do you gossip even when what you say may be true? Three, do you exude, push away, or punish others because of something they have done? Four, do you secretly envy another? 
And five, do you wish to cause harm to someone? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may want to apply the two-word sermon from earlier. Stop it. Dorf, you're great. So great. Very clear. I love it. You know, a lot of people complain that they don't want to have to, like, walk on eggshells around everyone. And they don't want to have to double check their words and spend a minute being careful. However, that's an incredibly inconsiderate way to look at the issue. Because people are like, oh, it's all about being politically correct now. It's not about being politically correct. It's about changing with the times and understanding that things in history and in the past and ways that we've addressed issues have been very hurtful and continue to hurt people today. And it's okay to put in that little bit of effort and improve yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you said, think about how children learn manners. Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. And that's totally normal. Right? Like, I'm living with my nieces and they take a while to learn things. Sometimes they pick something up really fast. Other times they don't. And I am always reminding them to say please. They're always willing to say please, but they never say thank you. And I'm like, okay. That's okay. We'll keep working on this. You have your whole life ahead of you and we'll sort that out. And are they going to mess up? Sure. We all mess up and that's okay. Yeah. We just need to be willing to put in the effort and it's going to be effort in the beginning, but eventually it's going to become a habit. It's going to become a normal way of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going with that is this perfect quote from the September 2019 Ensign. It's an article called Perfectionism, A Toxic Game of Spot the Difference by Nathan Reed. He said, Part of overcoming the negative perfectionism peddled by the adversary is understanding what perfection really is. In a talk by President Russell M. Nelson on the topic of perfection, he explained that the original Greek word for perfect in Matthew 5.48 means complete. None of us will be complete in this mortal life completeness will come in the eternities. Righteousness and perfection are not synonymous. While perfection is an outcome, our covenants are our passport and righteousness is the steps on the journey. If this is our perspective on perfection, we can hope in good things to come as we patiently and persistently develop our righteous patterns. I love this because so often we forget that becoming disciples of Christ is a lifelong journey. We forget that We aren't done just because we've been baptized or because we've gone through the temple. We have to be constantly willing to change our hearts, our will, and our desires to match his. Right. When we look in the mirror, can we see the Savior in our countenances? If you're unsure of that answer right now, then you need to be asking the Lord what you can do to see him more clearly. It's not telling other people that they need to fix things so that way you can see the Savior more clearly in your reflection. It's all about you and the Lord. Exactly. And I mean, every part of this quote is just so good for me because I had a friend in college who was really concerned about the idea of being perfect. They were like, okay, if we're supposed to become perfect, then it should be possible in this lifetime to a certain extent. And I was like, I don't know. And it always stuck with me. And like, it was a doubt in the corner of my mind for the longest time. I was like, am I supposed to be perfect? Like, how the heck am I supposed to be able to do that? And then for a while, I was like, okay, well, maybe we're going to be perfected in the next life. And then you know, like all my, my faults, like physical, mental, like emotional, like all those problems that I have are going to be sorted out and perfected basically. And this just really puts it into a lot more clear perspective. And it's saying it's not about being perfect and beautiful or anything. It's, it's about being complete. It's a destination, but we need to be focusing on our covenants and being righteous. We're going to be making mistakes. So that's why we need to have those with us. Yeah. So we want to conclude with uh, another quote from Uchtdorf's talk on the merciful obtain mercy, where he says, the more we allow the love of God to govern our minds and emotions, the more we allow our love for our Heavenly Father to swell within our hearts, the easier it is to love others with the pure love of Christ. As we open our hearts to the glowing dawn of the love of God, the darkness and cold of animosity and envy will eventually fade. So we know that moving past toxicity within the church can seem like a truly insurmountable task at times. And it's also difficult to separate and delineate the difference between the gospel and the behaviors of the members of the church. The toxicity in the church does not have a place in the gospel. True. Something we need to remember always is that the church was set up by God to help unperfect people heal 
draw near to him and become more like him. So like a hospital is there for the unwell, so is the church established for the spiritually unwell. We are all imperfect. We are seeking perfect grace from the one who is perfect. We promise you that as you seek him, and we mean really seek him, that your heart will heal. The pain will subside, the love of God will swell within you, and you will be able to extend that same love to the people around you, even the people who first made you hurt and feel unwelcome. And we know that this is very challenging. We are experiencing it, we are working through it ourselves, but we can promise you that it is possible to heal from. And we once again wanted to thank you guys for your honesty and your candor in that Google form. Yes. Thank you. I know I had a couple conversations with some friends and their honesty about this situation as well was very eye-opening and heartbreaking as well. And so I once again wanted to thank everybody for their honesty and let you know that your feelings are valid. We love you and we are here for you and we are so glad that we got to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, so thank you for listening in, and we truly hope that we can all do our best to help improve things, to to get rid of that toxicity, to find love and peace, and to just to find the love in the world. I believe it will happen. I believe it can happen. And as long as we continuously strive uh, to find that, to build it, then I know we'll have that. Yeah. So thanks for listening this week, guys. We love you. We do. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.